What we're going to do this morning, we're going to be opening our Bibles in just a moment. If you're new to Sanctuary, we're a Jesus-centered church. Uh, we're a Bible-centered church. And so that means that uh, every Sunday we open the Scriptures. Uh, we think that we could hear the voice of God through the Word of God. And so we will read it, and then we will explain it. We'll apply it. And uh, it's going to be a great message this morning. So, Father, we thank you that we are here this morning. We thank you that you're above all our circumstances. We thank you that you're above every situation we face and will ever face. We thank you, Father, that you are all that we need today. And I thank you for everyone that is here, everyone watching online. I pray that as we open the scripture, that you would speak to us, that we would hear your voice, that we would recognize that we're hearing the words just not on, a, on another page, but very God-breathed words for the most powerful book in the world that transforms our lives. So we ask you to give us ears to hear what you're saying in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, well, so great to be here. The message this morning is entitled, How to Serve God. Another title that I would give it is Seven Ways That You Can Be Shaped for Service or How to Be Shaped for Service. And so we're going to be unpacking these uh, verses here. Uh, We're going to look at seven ways to serve God. Really, this is a profile of God's servant. If you were not here last week, we looked at Romans chapter 1, the first seven verses, an introduction. And what we looked at was Paul's life there, an introduction to his life. And so this morning, we're going to continue really the introduction all the way to verse 17. I want to remind you that Paul is in prison. He's in Corinth there. and He's writing to Rome, which is about 600 miles away. And there he is in prison, and he says to himself, I'm going to write a letter to the church, which is trying to sort things out how to live for God, and I'm going to tell them the things that they need to know about Jesus and about about faith and about following him. So he writes this letter to Rome from Corinth, and that's what we just read today. So we're going to continue in this, and I want you to see what he does here, and that he encourages them. He gives them a big shout-out. He uh, talks to them about serving God, how to emulate serving God. And we read in verse 8 the following words. Let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ because of your faith. Now check this out. They were famous because of their faith. You know, churches become famous for all types of different things. They were famous for their faith. Churches are famous for maybe their their pastor or their worship leader or their buildings or their, their wealth. They were famous because of their faith. And he says that throughout all of the world, that's the Roman Empire and beyond, People are talking about this church here. Neighbors are talking. School are talking. Workplace, they're talking. And so Paul is so impressed with this church because of their faith in Jesus Christ. So nations are hearing about them, and he congratulates them. He gives them a shout-out. And then he says, after the word of affirmation, he says this. He says that he is my God says, I thank my God. Notice he doesn't say, I thank like the God that are out there, this distant God, an unknowable God. No, he doesn't say there's a somewhere out there God. But this is very personal, very intimate. Uh, he's talking about God as though he's his friend. It was unthinkable to do in that culture to ever refer to a God as my God. Just unthinkable what he was writing here at this time in antiquity. So what we see, though, number one about people that serve God is this. 
They have a personal relationship with God. What kind of relationship does God want to have with you? A personal relationship. And that comes to its fullest expression here where he's talking about Jesus being my God. In other words, making God and knowing him your number one priority. Making uh, uh, your relationship like an ongoing conversation with God. When he says my God in the original language, it's very much a picture of intimacy. Very much a picture of God being like your friend. James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And it's speaking of a nearness that he has. He says, I thank my God for all of you. I just want to pause there for a moment because I'm feeling a little inspired where Paul said, I thank God for all of you. I want to stop and say, I thank God also for all of you. All of you and you and you and you. And what is it that I want to thank? Well, I want to thank you for, number one, your service. I was reflecting on the ranch here, and because of your service, it's been transformed from a dilapidated, pretty beat-up-looking place to a reasonable place to come and have church. But it's because of your service. Yeah, give it up. Uh, This is, you're a church that you're willing to get down and get dirty, get your hands dirty. Uh, Looking at many of you that I've seen you serving, picking weeds, cleaning up, doing massive amounts of hard work. You're an amazing church, amazing uh, volunteer church. When we began to do the drive-in church and we were figuring out how to do that and flying by the seat of our pants, though we were praying and planning, we had a lot of churches come and visit us. I don't know if you know this, some of the major churches in Southern California came to see how these people out in Ukiah were doing drive-in church on a stinking old dirt parking lot at a chicken ranch. And so I tell you, I'm telling you, so Mariner's Church of Irvine, California, one of the largest churches in America, was here. Friends Church of Yorba Linda, one of the largest churches in Orange County, was here. Southwest Community Church, the largest church out in the desert, was here, Ricky Jenkins and his team, and many other churches, and they were huddled around me uh, like I was some expert on how to do drive-in church. And I said to them, they were like, they were like waiting, uh, hanging on every word that I had to say. And I said, hey, and they're asking me questions and taking notes. And I, and I said, hey, hey, time out, time out. I said, look, I said, look around. I said, this is a dirt parking lot, and this is an old chicken ranch, and if we can do drive-in church on an old chicken ranch. All you guys can do drive-in church too. So anyway, um, yeah. (laughs) But all that to say this is that one of the things that amazed them and the things that I heard them talking about afterwards was the volunteers. The volunteers, and they went back and I heard things like, man, when we get back to our church, we got to talk about at the ranch how they did their volunteers because we realize that they have something going on there that we don't have. So I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart that you've been great at volunteering. It's amazing. You're hardworking people. You beautified this ranch. And so I also want to thank you that you're easy to love, you're relational, you buy into community, uh, you're a giving church, Ridge Burns right over here, told me, said, hey, Rod, I uh, just want you to know the church gave $27,000 to In Faith over the years. Give it up for the generosity of the church. Little by little, 
But uh, hey, tw- like you never even hear about that, things that we do. And I didn't even like realize that until Ridge told me. But uh, you're a generous church. And so I just want to thank you for that. Uh, it's just a, it's a privilege to be a part of this. So Paul says there here, he says, I thank my God for all of you because your faith is being spoken of throughout the world. In other words, all you saints there in Rome, you are rocking it in Rome is what he's saying. It's amazing what's happening there in Rome. Now, this is super encouraging to me, and I think it'll be super encouraging to you, because one of the things you need to realize that here's the church, that they are rocking Rome with their faith. Well, what was Rome like where the whole culture is being rocked by the faith of this Christian church? They were known as, Rome was known as, in antiquity, as a cesspool of iniquity, a cesspool of sin. And here's this church that is real, that is rock solid, that is alive, that is strong, that is genuine, that is faith-filled, and they're flourishing in a culture that is, that is known as a cesspool of sin, where darkness abounds, where uh, it's pagan-filled culture, pagan-filled atmosphere, and here's a church in the midst of that that's getting a shout-out from the Apostle Paul because they are thriving spiritually. They're not just surviving. Sometimes we think when things are bad, we just have to hang in there and survive. No. Here's an example of a church that speaks to us today because our culture is very much like theirs on a downward spiral, depressing, discouraging Many people despondent about that. And there they are. While the church is uh, spiraling down, they are spiraling up. They are faith-filled. Their faith is known throughout the world. So I just want to tell you, friends, it is possible and very possible to be a light in the darkness. And when things get darker, you shine brighter. The Roman historian Tacticus said this in the city of Rome. He said, into the city of Rome, and I quote, flow all things that are vile and abominable, and where they are encouraged. And yet, friends, in the midst of that, in the midst of that moral cesspool, here is a church of faith-filled lives, and it is permeating the Roman Empire. It is awesome, friends. So second point I have is this. How do you serve God? Not only is it with a personal relationship, but number two, it says, says, I thank my God, is is with a thankful heart. You serve God with a thankful heart. I mean, some of you, you wake up in the morning, you say, good Lord, it's morning. And others of you say, good Lord, yeah, right on, it's morning. So I don't know how you're wired up here, but we have much to be thankful for. And I want to point this out about Paul. Paul's not writing from some posh hotel where he's got a nice pillow there and a nice bed and uh, where he's got room service and it's a great existence. No, he's writing, I remind you, from a prison in Rome. It was a hardship. It was awful. Things they did were unspeakable. They would release sewage into the underground uh, places there where they kept the prisoners, and they would suffocate in, in, in that kind of an atmosphere. It was just awful. It was dark. It was, there was no toilets. There was no running water. And Paul is writing from that. And he says, he says I'm not thanking God for my circumstances, but I'm thanking God for you. So sometimes, you know, we have to live beyond and bigger 
than our circumstances if we're going to serve God, because things aren't always going to go well. Circumstances aren't always going to be well. But Paul is looking beyond his circumstances, being in prison and thanking God, finding something he can thank God for. Then he says this, I thank my God because of your faith, of their personal trust in Jesus Christ. They were able to see beyond their circumstances. And this is something that I would like us to be known for. And we're going to be building, starting next year, going to be building a building. But I never want us to be known for a building. I want us to be known for who we are. I want us to be known because we're a people like them of faith. And that people throughout the Inland Empire would talk about us, not because of new buildings, although that is going to be great, and we're looking forward to that. But in someday we won't be in the tent, and I just might miss it a little bit. But I want sanctuary to be known as a, as a, as a, a place to be known for faith, in Jesus Christ that we trust him. So he says in verse 9 this, God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart, spreading the good news about his son. So he says God knows. God knows everything. He's omniscient. He knows everything about you. God sees your life Today, we just need to recognize that and sometimes be reminded about that, that God knows everything, every detail of our lives. And then the next thing here we see about how we serve God, and that is with a prayerful heart, number three. A thankful heart, a personal relationship, but we have to have a prayerful heart. He says, I thank God for you, but I pray for you. And in the next verse, he expands on that. He said, God knows how often that I pray for you. Only God knows. It literally means in the original language, when he's talking here, some of your Bibles uh, may, may read uh, incessant, without, without ceasing. But literally means this. Not very much time passes between my prayers for you. I lift up a prayer for you, and not much time passes before I lift up another prayer for you. I'm really constantly praying for you. So the big idea is this. The big idea, friends, is to pray. Start everything with prayer. Start your day with prayer. Pray over your meals. Pray uh, when you start your marriage. Pray over your workday. But begin uh, to pray without ceasing is to process your day through prayer. And that's what he's talking about here. And then what Paul did, and this is so important for us, what Paul did is that he bridged the gap through prayer. Remember, there's Paul in a prison in Corinth. 600 miles away in Rome is the church that he's praying for. So he's bridging the gap through prayer. You have kids that are overseas, kids serving in the military, kids far away, parents far away. We can always bridge the gap through prayer, however far away that they are. And so prayer spans the miles that separate us, and your heart can even touch their heart by the very simple act of praying. It's awesome, friends. So how are we shaped for his service? Number four, it says this, number four, is a worshipful heart, whom I serve with all my heart. Now, this is a very unique word when he says serve. It literally is translated in many other places as worship, as worship. Paul said in Romans 12, uh, I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, 
which is your reasonable worship, to live your life as an act of worship. And that's what he's talking about here. I serve God, or I, uh, all of my serving is done out of a thankful heart that leads to a worshipful heart that really is a serving heart. And so all of our service comes from thankful hearts as an act of worship to God. I just like to remind us of that, that our service is an act of worship. He says, whom I serve with all of my heart. In other words, not half-hearted, not lukewarm, not neutral, not lackluster. I am all in. I am serving with my whole being. I am serving God uh, from the depth of my inner person. I am serving God, not some superficial, and eh, I don't know what I'll do today. I think I'll serve God. No, this is who I am. It flows out of my identity as a servant of God. And so the depth of his heart was filled with passion and zeal as he's serving God with everything that he had. So again, Paul viewed his service as his worship to God. We think this is a worship service. This is just like a little tune-up on Sundays for the rest of the week, and you leave here, and you continue to worship God throughout the week. And then he says this in verse 10. One of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. I want to unpack this here, because first of all, he says, I'm always praying for the opportunity. How many people do you talk to, and they, they're Posture is, well, there's nothing for me to do. Well, are you praying for opportunity? Are you looking for opportunity? Paul here now has been praying for about a decade. This is about 10 years he's been in this, this place. And he's been praying for a long time for the opportunity, God willing. Year one, nothing happens. Year two, nothing happens. Year three, four, five, six. And he keeps praying for the opportunity, God willing. And so his praying stirred his heart. I want us to see this, that his praying then stirred his heart. He's always praying. It changed him, changed his heart. It stirred him. Uh, this desire within him is growing for him to do something, even though he's in prison there in Courtneth. And he recognized this. He said, I've been on my knees, but now it's the time to, to, to roll up my sleeves and get to work and I'm coming to Rome, God willing. So I want us to see the fifth reason for how to serve God, and that is with a submissive heart. Notice he says here, God willing, God willing. I want to come. It's in my heart. I desire this, but I'm filtering everything I do. Even the things I'm praying for, I'm filtering through God willing, the will of God, the sovereign will of God. So here he is, he's petitioning God, he's seeking God, he's pleading with God, if it is his will, that he would be able to come and to serve them. Now Paul knew that Christ held the keys to opportunity, to unlock the doors of opportunity there in Rome, but he could also shut the doors, slam the doors. And though Paul desired with everything that was within him to come to Rome, he knew that he could not do it unless Jesus opened the doors for him. I think this is something we need to build into our lives. Build into your life. Yeah, you have desires, you have passions that you want to do, but you always want to filter it through God willing. If it's your will, Lord. Now, think about this. Paul had the most uh, legendary uh, 
world-class, brilliant intellect. He studied under the feet of the great uh, and famous Gamaliel of his day, uh, one of the great teachers of his day. He said, my only problem is I can't get the guy enough books. And so he was taught by the risen Jesus. He authored 13 books of the New Testament. He was a, a, a powerful church planner, uh, an extraordinary servant of God. And yet, in light of all that, he doesn't power up. He doesn't like push through. If anybody could have made it happen, it was the apostle Paul with the credentials that he had. And so, but what he does is, he pauses and he prays. He says, God, if you are in this, let's roll, baby. But if you're not, I'm out. And so and he recognized that the Roman door must be opened by sovereign will, that he couldn't do life just pushing his way, punching his way through doors. And those of you that are good at making things happen, this is a vulnerability that you have. So I'm kind of warning you that you need to be careful, especially if you're capable, you're a person of resources uh, and all. You're able to make things happen, but just because of maybe the force of your personality or your position in life, whatever. And Paul was that very person. He's the one that if anyone could do it, it was him. And he said, yet God willing with the words written over his life. And so I'm, he said, I'm going to God to see if Rome is in his plan, if Rome is consistent with his will, and Rome is what he wants me to do. So he said, Rome must be a God thing. Rome cannot just be a Paul thing, must be a God thing. God willing there. So friends, let me just say this, that if you want to serve God, if you want to serve God, yes, make plans, but filter your plans through God's words if God is willing. I think if every Christ follower would do this, would be submissive to his will, regardless of our own desires here, you would be the best version of your serving God. And remember, Paul is a prisoner uh, in chains. And so he's praying that he would be able to go. But check this out. Check this out. It is nothing like what he imagined how he would get there. He's prayed for years that he could go to Rome. God willing, God says, yes, it's time to go. And how does he go? He goes as a prisoner, a future prisoner then, of the Roman Empire. From being a prisoner to being a prisoner. And he arrives under arrest. He arrives in chains. Hardly would he thought how God was going to work here. And finally he makes it to the capital city of the whole world. But not by the way that he thought he was going to get there. And friends, all that to say this. This tells us that sometimes... God's providential path for your life may take unexpected turns. I mean, do you think he thought he's going to show up and he's going to be in prison again? But God laid out his all-wise sovereign plan there, and Paul went with it. Verse 11 says, For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. So, I mean, his heart, he, uh, something about... Uh, a servant of God, there's a caring heart. It's not, I don't think it's in your notes. I'm just adding it right now. There's a caring heart. He says, I long to visit you. My, literally means in the original language, my heart is aching. My heart is broken. My heart is aching for you. And I so long to see you that I can bring you a spiritual gift there. In other words, 
Maybe it's my preaching. Maybe it's my teaching. Maybe it's my praying or my guiding or my discipling. Whatever it is, I want to strengthen you. I want to help you. I want to benefit you. I want to see you established in your walk with Jesus Christ so I can bring you something. I can contribute to you. I can strengthen you. That, friends, is the heart of a servant of God. Now look with me at verse 12. He says this. Everybody look with me at verse 12 on the screen. It says, and when we get together, watch. I want to encourage you in your faith. But I also want to be encouraged by yours. I love this because he's so intentional about showing up. Now, as a servant of God, this speaks into how you show up. It's also not in the, the notes on the screens. But I want you to think about this. How you show up is exceedingly important. I talk to our staff quite often, and I tell them that. I said, look, how you show up, it's so important. Look how Paul showed up. It says, when I show up, when we're in community, when I see you face to face, when God does something that only happens when we're face to face, it doesn't happen in any other context, when we get together, I want to encourage you. This speaks of an intimate encouragement. This speaks of an intimate association. This speaks of something that I'm giving to you and you are giving to me. It's an, an intimate association. It is a mutual encouragement here. Anybody in the house, you don't even have to raise your hands, but anybody in the house had a little season of discouragement, season of despondency, maybe a season of depression, maybe a hard season, and could use a little bit of what this is talking about, a little mutual encouragement. Okay, you can raise your hands. Huh? Anybody out there, you could use that. So thank you for all four of you. But here's the reality, friends. We are prone to discouragement. We're prone to discouragement. And all of us, without exception, need encouragement. Perhaps that's why Paul said in another place, encourage one another daily while it is called the day. And so we're all prone to discouragement. So many people out there that you meet with, you rub shoulders with, that you meet here today, they could use a little encouragement. They could use, a little, they could use that. And so Paul shows up to the church there, says, when I come, I'm coming with a bucket of encouragement in each hand, and I'm going to dispense that encouragement. I'm going to pour life into you, and you're going to pour life into me. It's going to be bilateral. It's going to be mutual. We're both going to be instruments of encouragement. Now, friends, all of us can do this very thing right here. You might not have the gift of exhortation or whatever, but you can be a, a, a person who is a, a, a channel of God's encouragement. You can be a person who dispenses encouragement. Everybody needs that, and I want to challenge you to think about that and to think about your own life as a servant of God, if you're a Christ follower, that you would be this very thing. It's not that hard to do, to just see something and to release the encouragement that you see. And so uh, he said, when I show up at Rome, I'll show up ready. I'll show up ready to encourage somebody. I'm going to do this extemporaneously, off the cuff. I'm going to do this. Chris, come on up here, and I'm going to encourage my friend Chris. Come here. Now, would you give it up for Chris? So I'm going to show you how to do this. I'm going to show you how to do this. I've put no thought into this whatsoever. 
okay, I'm just doing it off the cuff because I felt inspired to do it. Chris, I want to encourage you. And really, uh, we've had lunch a few times. I want to tell you what I, wa- I want to encourage about you. Number one, you always talk about how you want to be a great dad. Chris, that has encouraged me. And you talk about balancing your work and your life and how you can be there for your kids. And every time we've met, you've talked about that. You've brought that up to me. I want to thank you that and encourage you that you talk about also being a good husband. Okay, I mean, we've kind of shared some things along that. And so and you've talked about uh, what it would look like to be a good husband. I want to encourage you because you often talk about providing for your family. You talk about that all the time and how you're a business owner. You've got a lot of weight on your shoulders as a business owner, but, you're, but you talk about that a lot, about providing for them. And I just want to encourage you in that. Another thing you talk about is your relationship with God in Christ. And you want to get together because you want to learn and you want to grow. Here you are sitting on the front row, on the front row. He's new. He's only been here a couple months, by the way. And so him and his family. But you're on the front row and you, you want to learn. You're eager to grow in your relationship in Christ. And so there's so many things I can encourage you about and thank God for you. But, uh, dude, you got it going on, and, uh, and I love you. I love you, man. All right? All right. So, see, that wasn't that hard to do. That wasn't that hard. Give it up for Chris. So, really, it was just it wasn't that hard to do. It's really not that hard to do. But Paul says, that's what I'm going to show. Now, watch this. Watch this. Note this, he says. He shows up also with an expectation. And he says this, but I also want to come and be encouraged by your faith. Now check that out, because we think of Paul, we think of like this nonstop ministry machine, planting churches, writing books of the Bible. I mean, he's, a, he's the greatest of all time, theological, brilliant human being. And yet he says this, I'm going to encourage you, but, but here's, the, here's the bottom line. I also... I want, to be, I want to be encouraged by you also. How insightful is that? How insightful is that into uh, Paul and to just living life that we're not just encouraging others, but also we pause and we receive encouragement from other people. Come on, somebody. Isn't that true? So, yeah, so it says in verse 13, not only do I want to experience the encouragement that happens when we gather face to face, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to visit you, but I was prevented from until now, and I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit, just as I've seen among the Gentiles. And so Paul says this. Paul says, look, you got to pray, you got to pray, but also you got to have a plan Come on, somebody. How many planners do we have in the house today? You are natural planners. Okay, and then you've got other people that you are prayers, but you know you're not so much a planner. Things, it, it'll all work out. It'll just work out. It'll come together. Well, Paul said, I planned many times to visit you, but I wasn't able to execute the plan. So number six here, I want us to see this. Servants of God, they pray and they pray, but then you don't just stop there. You got to have a plan also. So what does that look like? Well, you pray, you hear God's voice. Uh, God, what are you trying to tell me to do? Is that your will? And then you plan. Okay, Lord, what is that going to look like? How are we going to do that? You get a vision, perhaps, a a, a leaning, a, a prompting. 
And then you, you plan on that and you, you write it down. Well, what Paul is telling them is that, look, you pray and then you plan. So this is something that we want to build into our lives here. And I want us to see this also, that serving God, and in, even in this case, is very practical. It's very practical. You look at the Apostle Paul and you think, you read Romans and you think, wow, this is so deep. It's incredibly deep. It's so theological. And yet, the greatest theological mind of all time, this theological powerhouse, the last chapters, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, are all about the practical aspects of living out the theology of 1 through 11. And so the greatest of all time here had an incredible work ethic. I remind you that we're in a tent, and Paul was a tent maker. He was bivocational, tent maker. That's something you had to have a hard, strong work ethic to be able to do that. He was walking miles. Some Bible scholars say that he, he walked many, many miles a day. I read one that said up to 20 miles. He's preaching. He's starting riots. He's starting churches. He's writing books of the Bible. He's raising up leaders. He's confronting heretics. He's doing all of these things. Very practical part of serving. He's just not a theological egghead in his, in his ivory tower studying theology. No, being a servant of God, yes, is having the right theology, but also has action to it. And so his theology, chapters 1 through 11, lead him to action, chapters 12 through 16. And he understands who God is. He understands who God is, and he's on mission doing what God has called him to do. But that required work. That required a work ethic and action. So I just want to encourage us that as you grow in your understanding of Scripture, you also concurrently want to grow in your action. James said, faith without works is dead being alone. Verse 14, I think I'm going to wrap it up with this one because uh, we're going to run out of time here. It says, for I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, the educated and the uneducated alike. In other words, Jesus is for everybody. He's saying everybody deserves access to Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. So, and he's available to everyone. So Paul is saying this, watch, watch. I'm under obligation. I'm under obligation. I wonder how many people re realize this, and perhaps we do like you have loans and you're under obligation to pay the loan. You have a car loan, a house loan, whatever loans. Uh, and then you have credit card obligations, and you realize, I'm under obligation to pay the credit card. Maybe you borrow something from someone, your neighbor or friend, and you say, hey, I owe you. Or they help you out. They help you out, and you say afterwards, uh, maybe they just saved you, and you say, hey, I'm, I'm obligated to you. I owe you one, friend. I owe you one, man. Okay, I owe you. And so we get that in the, the natural world, that the physical, horizontal world. But Paul's not talking about that. He's talking about in the, the other world, the spiritual, the vertical. He said, I'm obligated. And I go, whoa, gosh, I've never, I never thought about it that way. Being obligated this way? I mean, we get obligated being this way. What about being obligated that way to God? So he says here, uh, I understand 
what Christ has done for me on the cross. And, uh, and you can feel ob- an obligation with that understanding there. So it says, I'm obligated to Jesus to go where he wants me to go and do what he wants me to do and say what he wants me to say here. And uh, I just don't feel free to do what I want to do whenever I want to do or go wherever I want to go. He says, I feel a sense of obligation. Well, that maybe, maybe I can't do what I normally would want to do or I please to do because there's this sense of an obligation there. And if we think about it, one of the, the most powerful Christians of all time, he never got over the fact that Jesus Christ died for him. Never got over that fact, and he would forever be indebted to Jesus. So Paul is obviously thinking about what Jesus had done for him and his response to that, what he'd done on the cross, that he died in his place for his sins, took the wrath of God upon himself. And so when he says, hey, what can I say but, but I'm obligated. I mean, he gave everything. He laid down his life. So what am I going to say to him? No, sorry, I don't have time for you, Lord. No, I says, I am obligated. And so number seven, how do you serve God? With a holy obligation, within a holy obligation. So I'm eager to come to you in Rome too to preach the good news. So I think I'm going to wrap it up right there. We'll continue that next week. So if I could have the worship team come up and uh, I'm going to pray and then we're going to close. So, Father, thank you for your word, which is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our feet, the great book of Romans, and you teach us how to serve God, that it begins with a personal relationship with you, with hearts that are thankful, with hearts that are prayerful, with hearts that worship you, with a a mindset to pray, to plan, and, Father, with a holy obligation. And I pray that you would do what only you could do, that you would encourage us, that we would encourage one another, that the eyes and the affections of our hearts would be steadfast upon you, the author and finisher of our faith. Help us during these turbulent times. Help us during these uncertain times to keep our eyes upon you. And this we pray in Jesus' name.